0: Um, how many of you uh, did you travel for Thanksgiving? If you traveled, raise your hand. Wow, that's a small percentage. That's really surprising. I we we traveled, um, and and Thanksgiving is uh, something in my family that um, has a lot of significance uh, because. Um, we're usually deeply involved in a Christmas Eve service, and so, um, and this started a lot of years ago. Um, uh, even when we lived out east, when we could not, um, we couldn't, you know, make the trip for for Christmas Day. Um, what we agreed on was that um, we were gonna we were gonna make Thanksgiving our Christmas. So there's there's a lot of pressure at Thanksgiving time. Um, in my family and not not a bad kind of pressure, but but we're always really looking forward to it um, You know the Christmas season, you know has not really kicked into high gear in most of our lives, but um, But we really we really look forward to it And um, we've got some some really great traditions and um, uh, that really helped create some fond memories um, and and my family is is no different than yours in that sense <clears throat> this year you um, uh, you know, we. My brother Dan moved, and his house has always been most centrally located. And he moved to Appleton, which is still the most centrally located. So, because of the storm, we waited till uh, Thursday morning, and we took off and and drove down. and And I started getting texts on Thursday morning as we're driving, and I'm getting some panicked texts from. Uh, my brother's house, and it's, it's different family members, and they're saying, hurry up and get here. Now, we all like to be loved, right? We, we all we want to be loved, we want to be wanted, we want to be included, but they're panicked. I mean, they're telling me, I have to get here. And they said that my sister-in-law was violently sick. She had food poisoning. Now, Thanksgiving is in their home, okay? So the person who's got to do the, the the cooking and we're all bringing different things that we've been assigned but but you know the the turkey and the, the the mashed potatoes and the stuffing and 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 the corn casserole which is big in our family you know all this stuff it's got to be done on site and it's and it's got it's done by the person who it's it's their home and she can't get out of bed for more than a minute without and so um so she, I walk in and they're like, you got to do it. They didn't, they, we don't even know how to make the turkey. And I'm, I'm like, how is this possible? My, my mother has raised a bunch of helpless people and she's not here to defend herself. So I, I got my I got my apron. Yes, I traveled with my apron. And I got my apron on. I didn't even take my st- stuff out of the car. I just went in and I and my sister, I'd, I'd have to run to the bedroom and, and ask her a question. Nobody knew where anything was in the house. They've been in the house a total of a month. Nobody knew where anything it was, okay? I I I can't explain it. I'd never cooked, I'd never I'd never made stuffing before, okay? I'd never made the corn casserole before. I'd never made the famous uh, lime green jello with cottage cheese before. Um I, I'd never done those things you know and so I'm having to get instructions you know and 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 find out where everything is and 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 their daughter doesn't know where anything is because she doesn't live there anymore she's been married now for over a year so it's just I mean it was I was really concerned and i'm 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 a people person and I'm like, you cannot come in this kitchen because you're in my way, and this is not going to work if you're in my way. And I, I whispered to my wife. You can ask her. I whispered to my, to my wife. I said, honey, don't leave me. <laughs> don't leave me alone in this because I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to survive. The turkey was the only thing that I was used to doing. That's my, kind of my responsibility every year, but it's just to get it into the oven. I don't I don't know how long they take to cook. I just know how to get it from 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 the naked bird into the oven, you know, and so that and, and then I know how to carve it. You know, those are my things. So, uh, it was it was really it was a it was a it was a little sketchy Everybody was thrilled with the food. Nobody got sick from the food. I was really happy about that. Um, but, but our family now, um, we, we're at 20 now, um, and uh, my dad and, and his wife Judy and then my, my two brothers and our wives, our children, now grandkids are starting. And we, this year we, we had a, a, a gender reveal um, at Thanksgiving, my niece Morgan um, and her husband Corey are expecting a baby, so they did a gender reveal. That was really new. Um, but but we have lots of, you know, lots of wonderful things that, that are memories. Um, one year, um, a certain uh, assistant pastor here at this church, who shall remain nameless, um, said, Hey, Dad, um, would you... <laughs> oh, so- <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He said, he said uh, Cabela's is, is having this thing on Black Friday, and they're giving away, like, you know, rifles and, you know. And um, he said, do you want to go sit all night with me at Cabela's in line, okay? Now, this was Cabela's in Green Bay, okay? They don't call it the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field for nothing, which is a block away. It it was so windy and cold. There were two kids that, if we hadn't shared our our blankets with them, I am positive they would have died. Okay, I could this one this one boy was curled up. I could see a layer of skin, okay, between his jeans and his jacket. That I'm telling you, I'm like, I don't know how these kids are gonna survive. And we, I mean, we were having deliveries of hot soup, you know. Uh, we had, we had deliveries of blankets and camp chairs and and extra stuff and 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 so we're we're sitting there all night and and um and in the, in, the, in the about five in the morning they hand out gift cards, okay? And so you're like, okay, this is the moment, right? This is it. And they end up with gift cards. And this nameless youth pastor, associate pastor here at Silver Creek, um, he, he was the first one to open his. And he opened his gift card, and he was so deflated. And we said, what did you get? And I mean, it's like everybody. We're like now friends and relatives in this, this part of the line, you know. And, and, and he said, $15 gift card. And I said if I stayed up all night in line for a $15 gift card, I am gonna be angry. And the good news is I did not stay up all night in line for a $15 gift card. In fact, none of us around stood up all, stayed up all night for, and froze ourselves to death for a $15 gift card. Ours were all $5 gift cards. <laughs> It, let me tell you, it's one of those Thanksgivings that you'll never ever forget. Uh, one year, the kids—this a few years ago when my mom was alive. Um, anybody here have a Wii? You have a Wii? Do you know what a Wii is? You have the little controller that you hold in your hand. Well, there's this 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 game called Just Dance. Okay, and so they have a person on the screen. Who is dancing and you're supposed to copy them, okay? So you're you're doing the moves, right? And, the, and it's all and it's moves based on a particular song. And so somebody picked a Michael Jackson song, okay, and convinced my mother and my father to compete against each other in the living room, and we have video evidence of them. It was absolutely Hilarious. You just, you don't forget those sort of things. Um, But some of the things that are really big, fresh turkey, um, you know, in our family, I don't know how my mother discovered this, but it's like the greatest thing in the world if your turkey's never been frozen. Um, You know, you got to have mom stuffing. You got to have the corn casserole. um, You got to have, for us, it's sundrop. You know, my brother had one job this year, one job. I called him. I said, sundrop. You guys don't understand it, okay? But we get it in in the glass bottles, and we get a lot of it. I don't drink pop all year long. I wait for Thanksgiving, and I'm going to drink myself silly with Sundrop, okay? It's di- I get diet, they get regular, but it's it's just cases of it, right? He moved away from where they bottled it, and I said, "Do you have?" Yep, my daughter's going to pick it up and bring it. I got there. I said, "Where's the Sundrop?" Nobody brought it. I'm like, I've been waiting all year <laughs> for sun drop. But we have those things. And we, we uh, peanut butter balls. Peanut butter balls are huge for our family Thanksgiving. I, I'm sorry, but that's just, you know, we don't sit around and say, I am so thankful. We sit around and say, pass me the peanut butter balls. Because it was just something that my mom started and it just really took hold. Um, we, we watch movies. Uh, Nacho Libre was played uh, over Thanksgiving. And, and, and we watch football. Anybody watch football? I love to watch football on Thanksgiving. It is just fun. There's just something about it that is so enjoyable because you've got nowhere to go, nothing to do, and there's three games on, and they're each three and a half hours long. It is fantastic. And, and I, I love to watch... You know, the, the pregame, and in the pregame, you have you have Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long, and they, they sit there, and they talk about who they think is going to win. And they determine it by what they see, and they they have a phrase for it. And it's called the eye test. Do you know what the eye test is in sports? The eye test is exactly what it sounds like. It's testing something by what you see. I did a little research on this and, and I came across an article by BleacherReport.com by a guy named Dominic Scareno, and he says this: simply put the eye test is a way to judge an athlete as they compete within their sport based on your own observations, not by statistics but or by the media or by any other means other than your own two eyes. In other words, you can't assume anything is what you have heard that it is. You have to see it for yourself. You can't pass judgment. Uh, on anything unless you've actually seen it. So for sports, it's about you have to see that athlete. You have to watch that game and watching it is what gives you the information to actually have the eye test, to conduct the eye test. It's not a one time deal. You can't judge a book by uh, its cover. You can't tell whether a player is going to be really good by just one play. You've got to watch it over a period of time. Um, It's it's a You watch those events unfold, and as they happen, it gives you the right to speak um, knowledgeably and effectively about a particular player. If you want to know how good that player is, you've got to watch them compete for yourself. And what I want you to do for a moment, because I'm not I'm not talking about sports tonight. This is our, our our series called Believe for the month of December. And and tonight I'm I'm calling my message the Eye Test. What I want you to do is I want you to think and step back for a moment, and I want you to look at Christmas the same way that you would look at a football game, giving it the eye test. Don't pass judgment on the Christmas story without really looking at it, without really really taking into consideration what we know about it. Let's not assume something just because we've heard it, but let's let's really see it for ourselves. Let's, Let's determine not to make a judgment on what we believe about God's word based on an experience that we had in a church that that hurt our feelings. Let's not make a judgment based on on something other than what we really see uh, in God's word. Let's open up our hearts and our minds and let's take a look at the best information that we have and so my question is this, can we apply the eye test to the story of Christmas? Is it possible? And this month, what I really want to do is, I, and I'm believing that God is going to speak to someone or some people that have been skeptical of the story of Christmas for a long time. And I believe that he's going to, to speak uh, through, uh, through these messages to someone like that. And so as we ask ourselves that question, can we apply the eye test? According to Scarano, the eye test is to judge based on observations with your own two eyes. So can we make a judgment on the veracity of the Christmas story based on observation? Can we prove through personal observation that there was a baby born to a virgin laid in a manger, announced by angels, celebrated by shepherds and wise men, who was the very Son of God sent to be the Savior of all mankind. Now, we've got to use our, our logical minds here for a moment. There's limitations of time and space. The reality of the situation is that you and I, individually, we're not able to become eyewitnesses to the events that happened 2,000 years ago. But that does not mean that there are no eyewitness accounts that are verifiable and accepted as historically accurate by a majority of historians today. And what I want to do is I want to talk about two issues when it comes to this eye test that are really important. And the first one is this, and we're going to read a little bit of uh, Matthew and talk a little bit about Luke here in just a moment. But issue number one, when it comes to the eye test, including Christmas, is this. First of all, it's a matter of proximity. It's a matter of proximity. It was the summer of 2008. Our family, uh, my wife and and the kids, uh, we, we... got a condo at the Dells for a week, and the condo that we, we were at had a, wa- in fact, it had multiple water parks in the condo, okay, and it was a blast, okay, you just get up and go out and find a, a, a lawn chair, and, and your kids are playing, and it's just a lot of fun, And Isaac was pretty young at the time. Um, And so we really had a great time. And Benjamin and I were sitting on a couple of recliners. We were watching Isaac play in the water. And I kid you not, five feet from the end of my chair, there's a discussion between two women. And basically, one of them said, your kid is, is hitting my kid or your kid is doing something to my kid. That was the essence of the conversation. And the lady who, who s- said, your kid is doing something to my kid, she became the recipient of multiple blows about the head and shoulders from other said mother. And I mean to tell you it was happening fast. There was a about a, a three or four year old child clinging to the legs of the mommy who was getting punched. And the other mom was just going at her. I mean fists ablazing. And then there are men coming from from all and they these were people that were part of family groups, you know, that were were related and they were, they were trying to grab people and calm people down, and, and, and the, the, the husband of the wife that was getting hurt was just trying to position himself between the two ladies, not wanting to put his hands on the other ladies so that no one could come after him and say that he was doing something. Uh, and, and it was just like at some point you flipped a switch, and the lady that was doing all the punching calm because people started yelling for security and the the people the lady as she calmly walked back to her stuff began to pack up her stroller okay with her baby and all of her stuff and get her other kids and walk away from the scene like there was nothing wrong and i mean she almost pulled it off if they if the security had been any later she'd, she she would have you know just been completely gone well uh, in the meantime, I, I said to the husband, I said, listen, I said, you know, if they ask you, did, did anybody see it? I said it was right at the end of my, my chair. I said, I'll, I'll tell them what I saw. So after a few minutes, the security guy comes over, and he sits, you know, uh, by me, and he said, hey, I heard you, you saw what happened. And so uh, I just began to describe to him what I described to you. And he's taking a few notes. <laughs> he shakes his head and he says, you're the best witness I've had all week. <laughs> and I'm like, how many fights do you all have here? I, I was, I mean, it was literally, it was right there. The, the, the point is this. The closer the proximity of the witness, the more reliable the testimony, Okay. That that is that is generally the, the case, and in our in our culture, okay, it, here here in America, in, in our legal system, um, they're, they're, they did a study at the University of Missouri, and they studied over two and a half million felony cases um, that there are over 2.5 million felony cases that happen every year. And what they did—they discovered in this study is that of those 2.5 million, 77,000 of them involve cases where the only critical evidence in that case is an eyewitness account. The eyewitness is the only thing. And, and And lawyers will take that to court and juries will rule in favor of of that. Think of that, 77,000 cases a year and the only evidence is eyewitness evidence. Eyewitness evidence can be very persuasive and it is accepted in America in a court of law. Now, eyewitness testimony is not perfect because the person giving it may may have a slanted perspective, and maybe they've got a problem uh, that that is unknown. Um, but but it's it's not perfect. But it's used in the judicial uh, judicial branch of our government. It convicts criminals uh, even when it's the only eyewitness or the only evidence available that a crime has been committed. So the question regarding Christmas is: Do we have? eyewitness accounts of the birth of Jesus available to us today. And I'm going to say something that, that most of us here are going to be pretty knowledgeable of, and that is that, that we have the account of the Gospel of Luke, right? We read that every Christmas. We're going to read, talk about some of it. We have Luke. Luke, do you know that Luke was Paul's personal physician? Luke was a, a historian, And he writes the gospel of Luke, not because he saw it with his own eyes, but because he heard Paul preach it. Okay? So he is giving this account based on Paul's testimony. John the disciple wrote his gospel with his own first hand, uh, eyewitness account while li- he was living in Ephesus at the time, but he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. When they were reclining, John was the one that, that, that basically is, is, you know, got his head laying on Jesus, and they're, you know, they're, they were very close. Uh, we've got Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel. Uh, includes his, he was a disciple of Jesus, like John. Um, his was his own eyewitness account as well. In fact, let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is Matthew's account. Matthew was one of the disciples, spending three years with Jesus, and following those years with Jesus, continued with the disciples. Uh, Jesus' mother and his brothers were obviously a part of the church, and his, his um, gospel was written from his own experience. He, he was an eyewitness to the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, and, and it's, it's, it's virtually the whole chapter, so I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to point out a couple things from Luke chapter 2. We read about the census, that was taken by Quirinius, the governor of Syria. We read that Joseph takes Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register because of this census that is happening. We read there that there's no room for them. We read about the shepherds who were in the field watching their flocks by night. We read about the angel of the Lord that suddenly appeared, singing glory to God in the highest peace on earth to all men. We read about the manger. But the question is, how do we substantiate these eyewitness accounts? Because someone who is, um, someone who is struggling, someone who is cynical, uh, someone who is, is even struggling to believe the biblical account of Jesus is going to ask themselves this question. How can I put my trust in these words? Where, where do they come from? We've, we've grown up in a society. I was raised in a home where I was told, this is the Bible. That is all. Okay? It's the Bible. You believe it. Okay? Some of you were raised in a home where I, to, I told you last week that my dad took the scriptures very literally. Okay? Okay? And so when we read this the Christmas story we we just said, okay, we believe it. but what if somebody is in a if they're a cynic if they're if, if they're a skeptic, if they're struggling to believe what what do they say? what where do they look to? How do they know that these eyewitness accounts are actually credible? Well in 8125, Papias Heropoulos, who's a Greek author, he lived from 60 to 163 A.D., he wrote that the Gospel of Mark was the testimony of Peter as carefully and accurately recorded by John Mark. John Mark was uh, was one of Paul's associates, one of Silas's uh, or, um, um, Another one of Paul's associates, along with Paul. Uh, Papias, he states that Mark made no mistake and did not include any false statements. So we see people that are that are uh legitimizing um and they are in close proximity to those who have been eyewitnesses. Uh he also says that Matthew, who is Jesus' disciple, preserved the teachings of Jesus well. Another Greek, Arrhenius, who lived between 130 and 202 A.D., he confirms the authorship of all the Gospels. Now, I want you to understand that when we talk about eyewitness testimony, there's a, a, there was a murder trial in the state of Oregon, and a man was convicted and given life, a life sentence after two individuals positively identified him as uh, the person who pulled the trigger killing the victim. We can, we can read about stories like this that happen all the time, where it's eyewitness accounts that that bring someone to justice. Now, prosecutors don't rely only on eyewitness testimony, but they seek to support that testimony with other evidence. Uh, and, and in this case of the murder case, they actually found Uh, the the mask that the guy had on and they were able to match his DNA from the mask uh, where he breathed and and had saliva on the inside of this mask and they were able to positively identify that indeed it was him but but the eyewitness account is what really uh, got that whole thing started. There, we uh, Of the Gospels, there is reasonable confirmation that the Gospels were written uh, by those whom they are named after. They were themselves eyewitnesses or wrote on behalf of others who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. And although this alone does not answer the question of the eye test, you have to admit that it also does not deny it. It doesn't deny it. There's nothing that we can learn from history when it comes to to these eyewitnesses that say, no, that can't be true. We can't say it's completely true based on just eyewitnesses, but we cannot say that it's not true. So that brings us to issue number two. Issue number two is a matter of time. You see, when you look to confirm something that's happened in history, the shorter the gap of time between an event and the written account of that event, the greater the accuracy of that account. That is general accepted practice when it comes to historical uh, documents. Let me give you an example. Alexander the Great was the greatest military king that had ever lived. He ruled a majority of the known world during uh, his lifetime. It was the 4th century. It was the Greek kingdom of the Macedons. Uh, he conquered most of the known world. And his, the two earliest biographies on his life were written by a man named Arian and Plutarch. And they were written about 400 years after he lived. And those biographies are accepted without a sense of conflict, without a sense of disagreement. They are accepted as historically accurate. So let me do just a little bit of comparison, okay? You see, the biggest argument against the truthfulness of the eyewitness accounts of the gospel is the amount of time that's elapsed between Jesus' death and the accounts of each of the gospel writers. Because historians sometimes interject, well, we don't know how much of this is really fable, how much of this is made up, because, you know, a few years went by, and, and you know, the, 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 just the stories really probably grew, and it really wasn't the truth. Matthew is said to have written his gospel in somewhere in the 60s. Mark wrote his somewhere between 55 and 65. Luke wrote his between 60 and 63. John is thought to have written his gospel somewhere between 80 and 95 A.D. Now, when these books were written and when they were distributed and disseminated, there were still plenty of other eyewitnesses who were alive, many of whom were hostile eyewitnesses. Now, I want want you to understand that the disciples, they were persecuted. um, all uh, All but John on the island of Patmos were actually Killed. They were all martyrs, but one. So, so uh, all, all of them had been killed because of following Christ. But yet, there was there is no story in history that that comes out with a another version. There's no one that says this is untrue. Yes, they were sought; their lives were taken from them. But we don't see any of those who provide a contradictory narrative. Uh, Uh, to anything that they say is historically incorrect um, and, uh, and, and these accounts that were distributed. Matthew and Luke, their account of Jesus' birth would have been written, if these dates are correct, a mere 30 years after the life of Jesus. But if we want to take another step even further back we can look at the Apostle Paul, who in his writings provided us with numerous creeds. And one of those creeds is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3. Let me read it for you. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles." According to Craig Bloomberg, who's a Ph.D. of American, New, he's an American New Testament scholar uh, in the Denver Seminary. He says that, that Jesus died at 30 A.D., in thir- about 30 A.D. Paul would have had his Damascus Road encounter with Jesus around 32 A.D. And Paul met this, the apostles about three years after that. And at some point then after that, before he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul learned this creed which had already been formulated in the early church. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And then he gives the creed. So Paul had been taught this creed that had existed in the church. Do you get what I'm saying? He got this creed and he quoted this creed and he taught it to the church in Corinth and he wrote it in that letter. He said, I received this, now I'm passing it along to you. It's of first importance and he gives factual information and names regarding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to get that. Now, we have this detailed account, and he, he gives names of eyewitnesses to Jesus' appearance, his post resurrection appearing. It's in written form, and it can date back as far as to within five years of the actual events. That have happened within five years. Now he's talking about the death and resurrection, but he's talking about the same person. So we have verifiable historical information that's within five years. James Dunn from the University of Durham says about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, this creed. He says, This tradition, we can be entirely confident, was formulated as tradition within months of Jesus' death. The church came up with this creed together. And they used it to teach others about the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul learned it and then he passed it along. Well, Paul, in his preaching, he influenced Luke, who wrote his gospel. And Luke took the preaching of the apostle Paul, and he put it down on paper, and it became the gospel of Luke. The shorter the gap of time between an event and the written account, the greater the accuracy And there may have been as little as five years between the time Jesus died and the time Paul began to speak it and Luke began to write it. So when we talk about this issue of time and we look at Alexander the Great, 400 years have gone by and his biographies are accepted commonly as historical fact and historical truth and we look at the Bible, the Bible has a much higher uh, degree of potential accuracy based on the amount of time that's gone by between Jesus' life and when these accounts were written down. So I want to kind of bring us here to a conclusion. The question is, does the gospel account of the birth of Jesus Christ pass the eye test? We realize that we weren't there. We didn't get to witness it ourselves. But we can, through reliable sources, we can be confident that those who wrote it they were who they said they were, and, and they were basing it on close proximity, and they were written with an acceptable period of time. Now tonight, as we're sitting here and we're, we're, uh, we're thinking about these things, it would be easy for us to say, but you know what? It's not difficult for me to believe and to have faith when I read the Christmas story that Jesus is who he says he was and that he was indeed born of a virgin. It's not difficult, but you know, there are some where this is very difficult for them to believe, and they are a skeptic. And I just, I I believe that God wants to speak to some skeptical folks this year during the month of December, and and I I just want the the uh, I want them to receive from the Holy Spirit uh, something that will allow them to put their faith in Jesus Christ, and you might have friends. That, that you, maybe you walk with them, uh, maybe, maybe they're your neighbor, maybe it's somebody that you work with, maybe it's a family member, and you know that they are skeptical. They struggle to believe, is Jesus really, not just was he in the manger, but is the Jesus of the manger actually, and we're gonna get to this in our series, is he actually the son of God? sent into this world to die for our sins that's the question they want to know the answer the jews said give us a sign we've got to look at everything that's available to us and we need to declare it to the world and i believe that this christmas season that god is going to speak The lives of some people here in our community that want to believe but have struggled so mightily. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and let's just pray that God is going to begin to open their hearts and open their eyes and give them literally a deposit of faith in their spirit. Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would begin to move in the hearts and the minds of those that are struggling with skepticism this Christmas season. When they drive by a home that might have a nativity scene and they see the manger and they see the baby Jesus there in the manger, Maybe they even have one in their own home, but they look at that and and it's just a story to them. I pray that this Christmas season that you will arrest their hearts and that you will uh, place in them the uh, the faith to, to not just believe it, but even to confirm it in the midst of their own skepticism. Father, I pray, speak to their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us a boldness to share the Christmas story with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, unashamed, and to know that historically there are things that we can verify. And, Lord, I pray that lives will be touched. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.